I think only in a country song can you rhyme the words pank, rod, and reel with still. Like still becomes a multiple syllable word, steel. Um, but I love that song because, number one, I'm a dad. And I love those moments with my kids when they think we're just going to the park to play. But they don't realize that, that I'm creating memories and that we're creating memories together. And uh, this, this whole song, Just Fishing, is about how the little girl thinks that her dad's just taking her fishing, but in his mind, he's getting to hear all about her world. And there's so much more going on than just fishing. And she thinks we're just fishing. And this morning, the story that we're going to see in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see that exact same thing happens in the life of one of the apostles, Peter. If you're familiar with Acts chapter 10, uh, it's a pretty famous chapter in the book of Acts because this is the first time really where we see the gospel comes to the Gentiles. And we're going to see it come in a big way. And it's, it's most of us that know Acts chapter 10 know that this is the story of Cornelius. And, you know, as I started studying this passage earlier this week and, and really diving into it, I, at first I was like, yeah, this is all about Cornelius and it's about what God's doing in his life. But the more and more I read through the passage, the more I began to see that this story, this chapter is really more about what God is doing in Peter than what he's doing in Cornelius. And it reminded me not only of this song, but also of uh, Matthew 4, when Jesus calls Peter and he says, uh, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And I think in this chapter, we're going to see that Peter's going to find out that he's doing way more than just fishing. And so let's look at at Acts chapter 10. Uh, We've been going through a series called Something Bigger Than Me. And uh, our focus has been on, on what God is doing through his church during this transitional period of the book of Acts. And we saw that God calls us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that verse, Acts 1-8, is kind of a progression. It's an outline not only of the book, but it's also a progression of where the gospel spreads on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The gospel comes to the Jews right there in Jerusalem. And then it goes from there. In Acts chapter 8, we see that it goes to the Samaritans. They were kind of half-breed Jews is, is what the, the Jewish people would have considered them. So we see it in Judea and Samaria, and today we're going to see that it's going to go to the Gentiles, breaking down that one last barrier. But what we're really going to see is the story of Peter, who is God's instrument. Last week we saw the story of Saul, and when God calls Saul, he calls him in a very special way. He has that road to Damascus experience where he's knocked on his feet, he's blinded. But God also comes to a man named Ananias, a believer there in town. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go to this house and speak to this man named Saul because he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument. And this morning we're going to see that, that we are instruments in the hand of God and that God chooses to use us, and that as he chooses to use us, he actually changes us. He changes us. He changes who we are in the midst of using us. Uh, when I started church planting, I had a great man named John uh, Harrington, who was my boss. He was my mentor for this year residency, and one of the first things he said to me is, one of the things you've got to realize about church planting is um, church planting is more about what God is going to do in you than through you. I was like, there's no, way that's, there's no way that's possible. Like, that just sounds so selfish, and it sounds kind of self-centered. But the longer I do it, the more I realize how much God is changing me. And 
Um, one of the things here at River Rock Bible Church this year, our theme has been to make disciples. And let me just say this to you. Making disciples, your participation in the process of making disciples is so much more about what God wants to do in you than through you. You follow? That God has something that he wants to do in you and not just through you. And so let's see some of the things this morning from Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. First thing we're going to see is that God's instruments are imperfect. God's instruments are imperfect. And we're going to see that Peter, one of not just Jesus' 12 disciples, but one of the top three, his inner circle, the one that Jesus says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church, indicating that, Peter, you're going to be a leader in the founding of this movement as the gospel goes out, that Peter had some work that needed to be done in his life. Chapter 10, verse 1, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now, a centurion is a Roman soldier that is placed over 100 people. And it's interesting that almost every time we read about a centurion in Scripture, it's in a positive light, that, some, that God is working and doing something in their life. That's bonus. You don't have to write that down. Um, you can thank me later. Uh, he was a devout man, feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable ge- deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision of an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, looking intently at him, he'd be, he became afraid and said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have come up to me as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier, and he, and, uh, who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now let's pause right there. Now what's happened here is something that is very important for us to understand. Very important. We read that Cornelius was a very devout, a very religious man. If you've been following along in the book of Acts, as, as we get back to Acts chapter 8, we read the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You guys remember that? Who's doing your reading plan with River Rock? Yeah, you guys remember that story? Well, what do we read about the Ethiopian eunuch? He was a very devout and religious man. Yet in both cases, God sends someone to share Jesus Christ with them. And here's what we can never forget. Religious people need Jesus Christ. Religious people need Jesus Christ. It is not about how good you are. It's not about how often you attend church. It's not about how much money you give to the church. You need Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's something we celebrated earlier this morning through baptism. This family who said, you know what? We have Jesus Christ as our Savior now, and we're choosing to follow him. There may be religious people in your life that you know that you think, oh, he's such a good person. I don't want to offend him by talking to him about Jesus. But we see that religious people need Jesus. The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray to the housetop about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while he was preparing something, he went into a visionary state. Now, I can relate to this. I have been hungry before. And I work with Stephen. And I keep Snickers on hand to say, Stephen, you're hungry. Eat a Snickers, right? We, anybody else, can you relate to this? About 11.30, that stomach starts grumbling, and you start having visions of food. And you can almost 
smell it. Some of you right now are already thinking, like, where am I going to eat after church? You're not even paying attention to what I'm saying. You're already on the food. You're like, where am I going to eat after church? So you know what it's like. So Peter has this vision, and he goes into this visionary state. He saw heaven open in an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all, all the four-footed animals and the reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then the voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything uncommon and ritually unclean. All right, so what's happening is Peter is literally seeing a sheetload of food come down, and he's seeing this, and he's seeing these unclean animals. He's seeing all the things in the Old Testament law. He's told, don't eat, don't eat. So that would mainly, one of the big things they don't eat is pigs. So what we have here is pigs in a blanket coming down, and Peter sees it, and he can smell the bacon. He smells it cooking. He's like, oh, it smells so good. No. And, and, oh, I want to eat it so bad. You ever been around a vegan, right? And they, like, they try to make everything taste like bacon, right? They, they have, like, eggplant bacon and this banana bacon, and everything tastes like, um, you know what tastes like bacon? Bacon. Just eat the darn bacon, right? And, and so Peter's seeing this vision, and he hears the voice, get up, kill and eat. And he says, no, I can't. Those things are unclean. As hungry as I am, as much as I want to, those things are unclean. And what he doesn't realize is that God is preparing him Because in the same way that the Jews viewed certain foods as unclean, they viewed the Gentiles as unclean and that they would become ceremonially unclean if they had contact with them. Yet God is preparing him. God's preparing him for this mission that he's about to send him on. And again, a second time, a voice came to him and said, What God has made clean, you must not call common or unclean. This happened three times. Then the object was taken up into heaven. Now it's interesting that Cornelius, a non-believer, a devout man, religious man, but not a believer in Jesus Christ, has a vision. And as soon as he has this vision that says, go get Peter, what does he do? He obeys the first time with a happy heart. And he does it. And he sends men to go get Peter. Peter, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, has a vision. And he's hesitant to obey. Because something in his mind says, this, Lord, this does, this, I, I just can't reconcile these two things. We see that Peter is imperfect, right? Peter has this bias. He's not quite sure what it means. And surely he would have been there when Jesus declared all things clean. He would have been there when, when Jesus said, uh, don't call anything unclean that God has made. And, he, and he, Jesus releases his disciples from this part of the law. And he says, you can eat anything. You can eat whatever you want. It's not what goes into the body that makes you clean. It's what comes out of your mouth, out of your heart, that causes you to be unclean. And yet Peter, still, even after the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, after the day of Pentecost, he is still struggling with this. Um, He's having a hard time reconciling. But God is preparing him. He's preparing him to go to Cornelius. Uh, And it's funny to me is, We think about being imperfect. And so often, I think as Christians, one of the biggest things that turns people off to Christianity is the fact that we do try to be perfect. Instead of just owning our faults, owning our problems, and saying, you know what, I am not perfect. I am not perfect, but but I am being perfected, and I am pursuing Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to get better. Uh, And and the more I let God use me, the more I know that he's going to change me. I came across this quote. I don't know who said it, but uh, how many of you have ever heard someone say, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites, right? Right? Uh, The day you find a church that's not full of hypocrites, don't join it. 
because you will ruin that church, right? Uh, and they, they, the quote says this, not going to church because it's full of hypocrites is like not going to the gym because it's full of out-of-shape people. Right? Think about that. How many people say, well, I don't want to go to the gym because everybody there is out of shape? It's like, yes, but they're trying to get in shape. Like, that's the whole point of going to the gym is so that you can get in shape. One of the reasons why we join together is so that we can come together and realize, you know what? We are imperfect. We are going to mess this thing up. But by the grace of God, he's going to do something in us. He's going to change us. He's going to work in us. We are his imperfect instruments. And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says this, For he, that is God, seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Do you ever think about that? An angel of the Lord shows up to Cornelius. Why not just have the angel share the gospel? I'm sure he's pretty familiar with it. He had a front row seat. He was there. He's God's direct messenger. And yet God says, no, I'm going to have Peter go because Peter's imperfect and I've got something that I need to do in Peter. I've got something that that Peter needs to understand. Peter's a little rough around the edges and I need to smooth those edges out. So I'm going to send Peter. He could have sent another believer in that city. He could have sent anyone, but he chooses Peter because Peter is imperfect and God is going to do something in Peter's life. The next thing we're going to see is that God's instruments are willing. Skip down to verse 24 if you have your Bible. It'll be up on the screen if you don't. So Peter is already learning. He already understands that God is preparing him, and he invites these Gentiles to stay the night with him, and then the next morning he gets up to go. The following day, Peter entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up. Don't miss this. Remember, in Peter's thinking, it, is, it will make me unclean if I come into contact, if I touch a Gentile. Peter very easily could have just said, get up. But we see that Peter is already learning, and so we see that Peter reaches down, grabs him by the hand, and helps him up. He's already learning. He's already learning. Peter helped him up and said, stand up. I myself and also a man. While talking with him, they went, went on, uh, talking with him, he went on and found, uh, went on in and found that many had come together there. Peter said to them, you, you know it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. That's why I came without objection when I was called for. So I asked, why did you call for me? Cornelius replied four days ago about this hour, and he relays the vision to him. He tells him why he's called him. And so we see that, that Peter is already learning. Peter is now willing. He understands the vision. God has prepared his heart. And what's amazing is that Peter walks in into this place and he is no longer on his home territory. Peter is no longer on his home territory. Um, he has given up home field advantage. Even in Joppa, Joppa is now uh, what is present-day Tel Aviv, and that was still Jewish territory. He would have been comfortable there. And something else about these two cities, uh, Caesarea was a very large uh, Gentile city. It was kind of the, the main hub of the Gentiles there in the area. And so Peter knows that if I'm going to Caesarea, like I'm going to come into contact with Gentiles. 
that this is outside of my realm of comfort. And so God calls him to come out of his comfort zone. Now, the thing about Joppa, anybody remember the name Joppa? Recognize that from the Old Testament? Who knows the story of Jonah? What happened to Jonah? Got swallowed by a big fish, right? Most, most of us know that story. Well, when Jonah was, in, uh, was called by God to go to Nineveh, to go to the east, he goes the opposite direction and goes west. And he gets on a boat. The place where he gets on the boat, his departure point is Joppa. And he heads towards Tarshish. So I wonder if in the back of Peter's mind, he's like, all right, Lord, it was at Joppa that Jonah departed from your will. This is my fork in the road. Am I going to depart from your will here? Or am I going to follow you and go to the people that you've called me to? And he chooses. He willingly goes. He says, you know what? I'm going to follow. I'm going to go. Uh, Joppa will not be my, my point of departure where I depart from the will of God. He travels to Caesarea. He no longer, no longer has the home field advantage. Peter is out of his comfort zone. And I, I believe that so often it's when we are out of our comfort zone that God uses us the most. It's when we are willing to step outside of where we're comfortable. The things that, that make us feel comfortable that God really not only uses us, but changes us. He's going to change us the most. And, and he comes into this packed house. He comes into a packed house. Cornelius knows that something, God has given, this, given him this vision. He knows that God is going to do something great. And so he calls not just his friends and relatives, he gets everybody he can there. And Peter walks in and he is surrounded. He is way outside of his comfort zone. And I want to challenge us this morning to think about what would it, what would it look like for me to get outside my comfort zone and be used by God. To just be willing. And I'm not saying put yourself in a dangerous situation or uh, a place where, where you're going to cause harm to yourself or your kids, unless that's what God calls you to. But let me tell you, so often what I hear from Christians for the last 15, 14, 15 years that I've been in ministry, the thing that I hear most often for Christians when it comes to a challenge for you to share the gospel, a challenge for you to make disciples, what I hear almost every time is, but I don't know any non-Christians. And some people look at that and they think that's a good thing. But I hear that and my heart breaks because you are missing out on an opportunity to be used by God as imperfect as you are and as uncomfortable as it makes you feel. I want to challenge you this week, if you're here, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you, if you think all my friends are church people, maybe not at this church, but other churches, everyone that I know is a believer and attends church, let me challenge you with this. What is your plan to develop a relationship with someone who's far from God? What is your plan to let God make you uncomfortable? Are you willing? Would you be willing to let God make you uncomfortable? Because I believe that when, when we recognize that we're imperfect and God wants to use us anyways, and when we recognize that perhaps God wants us to be uncomfortable, and maybe, maybe just maybe, have some friends who... Oh my goodness, they say words that I don't say. But that's all right. That's all right. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I don't have to use those words, but I'm going to be uncomfortable because I know God wants me, wants to use me in their life. And for this reason, let's look at 2 Timothy 2.21. 
It says this, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument. This is Paul. Paul is writing this. Remember in in Acts chapter 9, God tells Ananias that Saul, whose name is later changed to Paul, will be my chosen instrument. My chosen instrument. And here, almost 20 years later, Paul uses this word. He says, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Let me just see a show of hands. Who would like for God to call you a special instrument? Who wants to be set apart for the Lord? Who would love to have it said of them that you are useful to the master? Do you get this? God, in the twinkling of an eye, could do everything that he pleases, but he chooses to use us when we're willing. How many of you would love to be prepared for every good work? We simply have to be willing. We have to be willing to be used by God. The last thing that we're going to see in this passage is that God's instruments are changed. Not only are we imperfect, and do we have to be willing, but when God chooses to use us, we will be changed. Let's uh, continue on. I, I love this because the story of Cornelius, do you see how it is secondary? Cornelius coming to faith is secondary to what God is doing in Peter. Peter's voice is a loud voice in the church in Jerusalem. He is, he is kind of recognized as the leader the one that everyone is looking to. And Jesus has already told them in Acts 1.8, you must take the gospel beginning in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. You have to get outside of your comfort zone. And this is going to become so important for Peter to understand because if he's not able to understand this, then he runs the, the risk, the danger of the church in Jerusalem not being on board with God's mission and being left out. And in just next week, as we look at Acts chapter 13 and 14, we're going to see that Paul and Barnabas are going to be commissioned to go to the Gentiles. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 15 that Peter is still struggling to understand that, yes, Gentiles can be saved when we have the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And then we read even later, that's, that's chap, Acts chapter 15 is 10 years after this account. And then we read even later that Paul has an encounter with Peter where Peter still doesn't get it. Galatians chapter 2, go home and read that chapter and you'll see that even Paul himself had to confront Peter on this issue that, don't forget, they're just as much Christian as we are. They are just as able to accept the gospel. And so it's so important that Peter be changed by this experience. And we're going to see that here beginning in verse 34. So Cornelius has told him everything that the, the vision that he saw, and, and then we see this in verse 34, Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God does not show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteous, righteousness is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now get this, the earliest Christian confession going back to the day of Pentecost was Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Notice what Peter says. He doesn't stop with, he is Lord. He says, he is Lord of all. Peter, do you mean that he is Lord of the Gentiles too? Yes. Yes. Peter gets it. He understands. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in uh, the Judean country and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen, not, not by all the people, but by us. Witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes will receive the forgiveness of sins. Now get this, while Peter was still speaking, These words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who hear the message. So Peter says that all you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came down and died on the cross for our sins, but that God raised him from the dead. Believe in that message and you are saved. And Peter is still speaking. He keeps going and the Holy Spirit interrupts him, comes down, and right then and there, as soon as they hear it, they believe it. And they come to know Christ. Now, as a pastor, I've got to say, if I'm Peter, I'm a little bit upset because, Lord, I prepared three points and a sermon, a a, a poem to go along with this. And I haven't even gotten to my conclusion yet. And he is interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And they come to faith in Jesus Christ right then and there. And they begin. It's it's like a, a Gentile Pentecost, right? So we had the first Pentecost with the Jews. And then we see when the word in the, comes to Samaritans and they receive salvation, that there's a Pentecost as a sign primarily for the for the Jewish believers to understand like, oh, I guess they're included too. And now we have this Gentile Pentecost. We've come full circle. And now... Even the people with Peter begin to understand. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking in other languages, declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to stay with him a few days. And we're assuming that Peter does just that. What an amazing story. Do you see the change in Peter's life? Do you see the change that takes place in him? Over and over and over again. Before this experience, Peter had questions. Can the Gentiles be Christians? Do they have to be Jewish first? Do they have to be circumcised first, which is what's going to come up in Acts chapter 15. And when they decide, no, they don't, I love that it says they sent the letter out and all the Gentiles rejoiced at the great news. Like, whoo, yes, very glad that we don't have to go through that. Uh, Are we allowed to eat with Gentiles? Can we eat unclean foods? Peter still has all these questions. Yet through this, Peter sees that God has accepted the Gentiles just the same way that he has been accepted And if God has accepted them, then Peter understands, I must accept them. I must accept them. And so God has been working in and through him. He sees the Holy Spirit come down. This is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8 in the racial sense. It's gone full circle from Jews to Samaritans, now to the Gentiles. It's come full circle. And I think about this, and I think about how Peter was changed for the sake of the gospel. That both Peter and Cornelius experienced life change through the gospel. 
Cornelius experiences it for the first time. Peter is, is in need of experiencing the ongoing life change that comes as we preach the gospel to ourselves, as we're reminded of our acceptance in spite of being imperfect. We are accepted by God. Now, how do we put this into modern day terms? I'm going to make some of you really mad, but I can do that because I warned you, right? As long as I warn you first, then I can make you as mad as I want. But this story would be like if you found out that your dearest and closest Christian friend and mentor was a Democrat. Or for some of you that you found out that your dearest and closest friend in Christ was a Donald Trump supporter. Like that's the tension that we have here. And yet what Peter finds out is that Gentile Christians have more in common with him than non-Christian Jews. Do you see that? And so we have to remember that whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you're a Republican, that your Democrat Christian friends have more in common with you than non-Christian Republicans. Democrats who are Christians have more in common with Republican Christians than you do with your non-Christian Democrat friends. Do you get that? Is this making sense? Are you tracking? To me, that's like mind-blowing for some of us. But we don't agree on this, but we don't agree on this. Yes, but you agree on the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He is Lord of all. Most of us need to be reminded that we are imperfect, but we are called to be willing, and that when we are willing, in spite of our imperfection, when we allow God to use us, we are changed. God never uses an instrument without changing it in the process. And like Peter, we all need to allow the gospel to continue to transform our lives. God isn't just working, God isn't interested in just working in you or through you. He wants to do both at the same time. As he works through you, he is working in you. He is changing you. He never uses an instrument without changing it. Never. I was going to bring a cast iron, my cast iron skillet this morning. Um, Amanda won't use it because she hates cleaning it. And she's like, you don't use soap on that thing? I'm like, no, it makes it better. Right? I have this, it's this beautiful Lodge 11-inch cast iron skillet. I got it the first year we were married. We were living in Boston right before a massive snowstorm. We got 24 inches in less than 12 hours. And I have pictures of, of I, I like to say, Chubby Chuck, um, shoveling snow without my shirt on because I was from Texas and I was going to do this, like show these northerners how it's done. Uh, but I didn't bring that because no, then nobody would be hungry. Uh, <clears throat> not even Peter. Uh, so... Anyways, I go out the day before and I buy this cast iron skillet pan because I'm going to make homemade from scratch pancakes and I've got to have this like cast, like man, I need a man pan. So this is my man pan, this cast iron skillet and I love this skillet because if you know anything about cast iron, you know that the more you use it, the better it gets. It's called seasoned, a well-seasoned cast iron skillet. And you just rub it down with a little bit of oil when you're done using it and put it away. And the next time you pull it out, it gets better and better and better. And the same thing is true of us in Jesus Christ, that every time he uses us, every time we are willing and let him use us, we just get more and more seasoned and we're changed in the process. We're changed, we're conformed and transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. 
I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you. We make a big deal out of discipleship and evangelism here at River Rock Bible Church. And let me remind you that the reason we make a big deal out of discipleship and evangelism here at River Rock is because we do believe that what God is going to do in you is just as, if not more important, as what he wants to do through you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And so we constantly ask you, who are you praying for that's far from God? Who are you discipling? How many of you are tired of hearing those questions? Right? We say it all the time. If you're in a small group, you hear it every week. Who are you reaching that's far from God? Who are you pouring your life into? And let me tell you, the, the purpose of River Rock Bible Church is not for you to come here and have a couple friends and to just take away some good knowledge. If that's all you're getting from River Rock Bible Church is just knowledge, then one of us is wasting our time. Our desire is for you to take what you hear and to put it into practice so that you can be changed and so that others can be changed through you. Again, I imagine if at this point, Peter, he recognizes along with his fellow Jewish believers that the Gentiles can be saved. He thought that he was going to fish for men and share the gospel with Cornelius. And I think at this point he realizes we're doing more than just fishing. God is doing something in our life. Would you join him in that? Would you do more than just fishing? Let him change you in the process. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that your desire is not just to work through us, but to work in us, and that you do not use any of your instruments without changing them in the process. We recognize that we are imperfect. But Lord, we are willing. We ask that you would change us. In Christ's name, amen.